Hi, and welcome to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast, where we share positive stories and suggestions about finding hope, resources, and connections to help us all get through hard times. I'm Karen Sullivan, a mom, an author, and a stage four cancer patient who's always looking around me for inspiration. I believe in surrounding myself with people and experiences that make me smile. And that's what I'm hoping to do for you today. So grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. I am so excited to introduce you to Dr. Jim Friedman. Now, as I introduce him, I'm torn as the best way to showcase his accolades while also respecting his true humble nature. When speaking to him recently, he downplayed the many awards and recognitions he's received. And by the way, he's won 65 Emmy Awards and has been inducted into three Hall of Fames. He may be best known for creating television shows and movies, though in addition to his broadcasting ventures, he's an entrepreneur at heart. He's created national marketing campaigns, been granted multiple patents, written books, written, recorded, and performed music and dance the hokey pokey at age three on a television kids show. Since 2008, he's taught creativity and entrepreneurship at Miami University and is a frequent speaker on topics of creativity and personal branding. Dr. Friedman's consulting and coaching work centers on connecting creative, innovative thinking to entrepreneurship for companies, educators, and individuals across the country. And since 2019, Dr. Friedman has served as the chief steward for World Creativity and Innovation Week and the United Nations International Day of Recognition, World Creativity and Innovation Day. He guides the International Advisory Board from 14 countries and the Miami University student team as they encourage, inspire, and support celebrations in 127 countries. On this week's episode of Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast, Jim and I, I feel like I should be calling him Dr. Friedman as I am alumni from Miami University, uh, but for the sake of us all being friends listening to this podcast, I think he said it's okay, I call him Jim. So we are naturally going to talk about creativity. And I just want to throw it out there that for me, creativity was such a beautiful distraction when I've gone through various hardships in life, specifically my cancer diagnosis. And the funny thing is, is I wouldn't even really call myself a really creative person. So I guess I open it up. And first, I want to say thank you for being here today. Thank you for having this conversation. As the um, as the host on the other side of the mic here, I'm a little nervous knowing that you've had so many years in broadcast. And as I sit here and interview you, I'm like, oh, goodness, I hope I live up to uh, you know, your, your finest memories of uh, the local business or the local news anchors. But I welcome you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It reminds me to begin with that one of the definition of a creative person is an egomaniac with an inferiority complex because all of us feel like we want to be uh, creative, but we spend all of our lives fearing that we're not, not enough. That wasn't good enough. So we have a tendency um, to be very hard on ourselves. So let's begin with what creativity actually is. Because most people believe that creativity is art making. I can paint, I can sing, I can draw, I can write, I can dance. And if we don't feel 
like we can do those things, we never feel like we're creative. That's exactly what I was saying is when I feel like, oh, I'm not very creative. That's where I was going. Exactly. So then a little dance, a little bit of singing, but yet I'm, I'm probably modeling it after those that I've seen and like, oh, I'm just taking in their creativity and then reproducing it. Absolutely. The creativity in our world is what I call second right answer creativity. We are all creative. The research shows it. We are actually all born creative and life removes creativity from us. There's a great study where uh, Dr. George Land found that um, at five years old, we have a 95% creative genius uh, score within us. And by the time we get to our age, that 95 has dwindled down to 2%. from 95 to 2%. Exactly. And and a lot of that, if you think about it, um, begins from our first day because they pick us up and they lean over and say, so cute. And we see that necklace and we reach out and we just want to explore it. We're curious, which is one of the key modes of creativity. And what is the first thing people say to us? No, don't stop. Don't do that. Don't touch that. That's not yours. Get down. Right. And all of these from our teachers. No, put your hand down. It's not time for that. No, that's not yours. Don't touch that, please. Um, We as people uh, kill the creativity throughout all of our lives. Uh, our, Our friends. No, nobody's wearing that. No, nobody thinks that's cool. Nobody's listening to that. You're not going to go out with him, are you? Right. Nobody watches that. And so What we do is we create in ourselves this internal voice of judgment. And this internal voice of judgment tells us, don't step out of your comfort zone. Don't try a little bit harder. No, don't speak out. No, don't ask that question. I will protect you. And that voice of judgment is the thing that kills our creativity. We believe that our voice of judgment is there to protect us. The truth of the matter is, it really does kill our creativity. Now, the interesting thing is, as you're saying this, I'm thinking back to, so for the listeners out there, I was not at Miami University when Jim was there. However, one of my interns had recommended him. He's a highly sought after professor. Uh, The courses that he teaches, it sounds like the kids love. And when she and I were talking about topics, she said, well, I know he talks a lot about a fear and he talks about a lot about a creativity. And I thought to myself, I'm like, hmm, I think I might be able to see the correlation. I think I see where you're building on here. But can you talk to us about that cross section there of from fear, which it's listen, if um, if I'm judging myself, that is a place of fear in a sense. Um, and, and how that that goes into this conversation about creativity. That the fear, the fear is, is, is really the thing that stops us. I, I, I tell my students, I, I don't know if I can do justice to this, but I will spare my fifth grade teacher. Uh, I will not share her name, but she was a shrew of a woman. She was a hateful human being. And we had to do this project on the Roman Empire. Well, I was really, really excited about this because I had gotten a gladiator 
for Christmas that I was going to, you know, put this model together. And I thought now I can, I can study the chariot races and I can put my gladiator together and I can build him a, a, a chariot. And, and I'll, I'll talk about how they rode the chariots and how this was entertainment and competition. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll get a clay uh, and I'll model a horse in front of it. Well, in the fifth grade, I didn't understand muscular uh, skeletry of a horse. So I made the big body and the tiny little legs and my horse wouldn't stand up. Uh -huh. As an adult, I would put, you know, rods in it or some kind of something inside it. But I didn't understand that as a, you know, as an 11 year old. Naturally. Yeah. So all I could think to do was make the horse's legs thicker and thicker. And I know as an adult, that it probably looked more like a dog than a horse. But I was so proud of it. I didn't even let my parents help. And so I went in on my day to present and I walked up confidently in front of the class and I talked about the Romans and the, the chariot races. And I showed off my project and standing up there beaming in front of the class, Miss said, take that thing out of here. That's the worst thing I've ever seen. And I walked I'm sure beat red down the aisle back to my desk. And you remember those desks back in the old fifth grade where you picked it up and you put all your desk stuff inside. I opened the desk. I put my head and started to cry. And I crumpled that horse dog into a ball. And my voice of judgment said to me at that time, we will net you'll write a paper next time. She won't make fun of you. If you write a paper, we'll do something easy. How many times are we embarrassed in front of a classroom? And the next time we don't try as hard, we don't try something out of our comfort zone. So that's where the voice of judgment, all of these incidences where we try something and it doesn't work in our internal clock says, dial it back a little bit. Don't try so hard. Don't make that mistake. You and I, who lived in the broadcast world, I mean, you talk about all Miami's, but you don't talk about the day that I ran down to the newspaper in order to read the review of the show that was on that said, Friedman's got a show on tonight. It's not very good. And then as I read the article, I'm going, oh, he's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. That didn't work as well as I'd hoped. Oh, I was uh, hoping that they wouldn't see how bad that part was. And my voice of judgment is saying, you know, maybe we ought to get a career a little bit further outside the public eye. But you know that George Lucas produced and directed Howard the Duck, which is <laughs> one of the absolute worst movies ever, right? We all have great failures. It's just that we silence our voice of judgments and we push on and try again. Again, another key to creativity is don't let your failures stop you. Failures aren't bad. Failures aren't bad. Yes, driving south on northbound I-75 is a very bad failure. But making a mistake, failing a project, it makes us stronger. It makes us better. And that makes so much sense. I feel like there's a lot in the in the wellness world, call it self-help, self-improvement world, that does talk about refocusing our failures. And you could take it for what it is. You could tear it apart. But knowing that it doesn't need to end something exactly as you're saying, it can actually open up so many different chapters for you. So can we flip the switch a little bit on creativity 
how do you speak to people about, so you've defined where you see creativity and we know it stifles creativity. It makes a lot of sense. But if you're looking to tap into more creativity, what do you suggest for people? Because I will tell people that like, you don't have to be a dancer, but if it makes you laugh and smile for you to do a Peloton dance routine, do it. It's great exercise and you can feel good. It's and it's being creative in a way. If you are horrible or you, so you think you are artist, um, okay, that's fine. But you know, there were years that people were buying adult coloring books, not because we wanted them to be in art shows, but because relaxing with the colors and the, maybe it's the fine motor skill of doing something different could be really, whether it's cathartic or it could just be relaxing. How do you encourage people, whether they say they're creative or not, but more so for those naysayers, like I'm not creative, I'm not gonna do it, it's not gonna do me do me good, to be more creative and explain, you know, further than what I've said, why that's a benefit. Well, again, my creative definition is second right answer. We live so completely in habit. We do the same thing. How many times have you driven down the street and you think, did I close the garage door? And you drive, you turn around and go back just to check. And you did. It's because we live in habit. We're constantly doing the exact same things and we do it blankly. But if you engage in your own life and you stop doing things exactly as you've always done them, so I'm going to bring this back around just a little bit. I remember my father asked me, I need a second opinion on a meeting I'm going to. I didn't even ask what the meeting was about. Of course, absolutely, I'll be there. So I drive my father to his appointment and I find out that he had had some medical tests done. Now, my father was a um, I called him the last American gunfighter. He was a cowboy. He was a, you know, nothing ever hurt. And so when we went in and the doctor said, you have cancer, my father said, okay, what an unexpected uh, response. And the doctor said, okay. He said, it is what it is. We're just going to have to deal with it the way we deal with it. He said, do you want to know the prognosis? He said, if you'd like to tell me, the doctor said, you've got six months. And my father who was totally unemotional, did the only emotional thing I'd ever seen him do. He crossed his arms, he took a deep breath, and he said, okay. So from that point on, my father and I engaged in one of the most enjoyable periods of creativity in the most unexpected ways. There are things that you can do with no talent. One of the most important things you can do is you can choose your attitude. You can choose the way you're going to live your life. So my father and I spent the next six months doing everything with what I call the second right answer. So instead of just slogging through his Friday um, chemo, we stopped on our way every Friday before we went to the hospital and we stopped at Wendy's and we would get a big tray of Frosties. And we would go through and we would give Frosties, not just to every nurse and every worker there, but every person who was having their lives poisoned by the chemo. When the nurse said to my father, uh, Mr. Friedman, will you hop up on the scale? I always jumped up on the scale to beat him there just to make him laugh. That's a creative second right answer. But we don't think of it that way. Our voices of judgment often tell us, 
go through the motions, do what you're supposed to do. But we made those times connective and joyous, which when you talk about cancer is really a rebellious creative act. How can we do things not the usual way, but the second right answer, which is the definition of creativity in everything that we do in our lives. It's the way we make our dinner. It's the way we serve our dinner. It's the way we tell our children uh, nighttime stories. It's the way we choose to do whatever we do the creative way. I, I want to jump in here because I'm trying to wrap my, my, uh, okay, as I'm wiping the tears away from my eyes, because we could go on for the next few hours about how important I believe attitude is. And some people authentically have it. It's in their DNA. Other people, they have to nurture it. And I do believe that I don't want, you know, I don't advise people to be who they're not. But they can definitely listen. If you if you like to laugh, who doesn't like to laugh? Find things that make you laugh that helps put you in a better mood. Um, but second, right answer. So, were you saying that not your ne not necessarily your first response or your first answer? The first answer, by definition, is right. But what's the next right answer? What if you actually did the opposite? Wouldn't that be interesting? So how can you think of things in different ways and do things in different ways? And so no matter what you do, um, most professors walk into their classrooms, stand up at the podium and begin their lessons. I never, ever do. I think of my classes as a conversation. So the first thing I do to my class as I say, what's on your minds? And they become used to the fact that we're gonna continue to get to know each other, build our relationship and connect. Too many professors think, uh, but you're taking away from the time that you have for information. Our job is not to pound facts into students' heads. Our job is to connect with them and figure out what dose of what they need to make their lives a little bit better. Most professors are so connected to the information that they have to get through, the information they have to cover, that they forget that sitting across from them are 28 students who have to make different connections of the material in their lives. And if we don't make it matter, they're not going to hold on to it. We call that the difference between finite information and infinite information. The finite information makes the student say, Lord, please let me remember this until the exam is over and then I can forget it. I will only do in my class infinite information. I have vetted everything to make sure that if I tell it to you, it's going to matter in your life. It's going to matter in your career. It's going to matter in your relationships. It's going to make your world better. All right. So I want to ask you, can you give me an example of that? Because I'm assuming you got 28 kids in your class and they're 28 very different personalities. So how can what matters to me necessarily matter to somebody else? Well, we I, it's it's in how I choose what the course um, contains. So I uh, I talk about mindsets, the creative mindsets. 
we go through nine of them in order to get to the creative confidence that I believe everybody can and need to, needs to have. So uh, there's a mindset of curiosity. We were curious as kids, right? We, we wanted to know everything. We wanted to touch everything. We wanted to put everything in our mouths. We wanted to, his childlike curiosity amazes me. We went to a bookstore. Uh, we, as you know, I love books. My brother walked into the bookstore and we're looking at books and he pulls one old one off the shelf, used bookstore. And the first thing he does is he smells it. What an amazing concept, right? To think about the fact that this book has gone, has been places over the years. And just to connect with the a little bit musty smell, right? Remember in school where they do the mimeograph machines, right? As you pass them back, everybody would smell them. We don't smell much anymore. We barely sense the food that we eat, right? But if I can get every one of those 28, what's known as clairalience, which is a clarity of scent, be aware that the world is full of senses. I don't want to be as, as cliche as saying stop and smell the roses, but what does your world smell like? And are you aware of it often? My father had uh, one of the world's greatest rose gardens. And every weekend, I light a rose-scented candle while I work just to fill my world with that wonderful scent. That's powerful. To me, it also is a parallel with being present is when I'll speak of writing, I didn't, as I keep saying, I never saw myself as being creative. However, I believe I wasn't giving myself enough credit because being creative is really about creating something. And when I wrote a haiku in elementary school, that is an essence of creativity. Was it good or not? Well, we could argue, I mean, it's subjective. Who knows? So as I've been writing, you know, into adulthood, I think I've tapped more into this, cre I'm creating something and I'm being creative. And so it's, um, you know, it is wonderful for me to find myself being present and then seeing the words come out on paper, even though maybe they're not the end result where they want them to be. But when I start getting ahead of myself and worrying, or when I start ruminating on things of the past, that, um, I don't know, maybe it's a process, so maybe it isn't getting in the way of the end result. But I definitely think in, in you know, the society and the culture that I believe um, we're all in, sometimes we're, you know, going back to the kind of the fear, we're judging ourselves if we're too ahead of the game or too behind the game. Um, but I, I want to throw it back to you. Can we talk about, can you dig deep into um, creativity and are there levels of it? There are actually four levels of creativity. And, and I, I want to start the four levels of creativity acknowledging what you just said. I never grade my students' creativity. I can't because I think everybody's creativity is perfect because it comes from you. But there are levels. As you said, your, your haiku. We all send texts, right? Well, that's a creation. It's a creation at the most basic bottom level. But 
The beginning level is what is known as mini creativity. And mini creativity, the definition of creativity is something that is novel and useful. We think of creativity at the top level, the fourth level, which is which is big C creativity, eminent creativity, which is Steve Jobs and Albert Einstein and, and Picasso and right, those people. And we think if we're not them, we're not creative. That's the top level. That's big C. At the very beginning, when you create a haiku, that is new and useful to you. That may be the only person it's useful to. If if we build a fort, that's mini C creativity. It is new and useful to us. Think about when we make a sandwich. It's new for us. We try something new if we follow the directions, if we paint by numbers. That's creativity. Every paper that we write is a new creation, especially when we do iterations of it, when we're improving it. So every text, every paper, um, every meal that we make is a new and useful expression. Maybe not to anybody else, but it's learning and it's growing and it's creating. Now, what I teach is the third level. That's pro-C. That's professional creativity. That's to go out into the field. You are a pro-C creative. What you do in your professional life is a continual creative act. You are trying to find new and useful ways to connect with your listeners, with your readers, right? So whether we are mini C, just starting out, little C, which is growing, pro C, which is in our professional lives, and hopefully we get all get to be big C. Very few of us do, because usually we don't know who's pro C until many years after they're gone. But we all are creative. And I think what's powerful about all this is, is you look at these stages and there's no harm or skin in the game if you start out at the first level of you're calling it mini C. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm going to go take a slight left turn here. Did I tell you how I used to have been watching Days of Our Lives since I've been like 13, 14 years old? Mm -hmm. And there is a point to the story. So at Miami of Ohio, people would, at the time, it was the Shriver Center, which is where the um, the student center was. Now it is across the street, but we would go there. There'd be a big screen TV. We'd get our Tuffy's toasted rolls and we would watch. It was at noon or at one o'clock Eastern time. Ohio is on Eastern time. And you know, I have a lot of memories of that. So let's fast forward to less than a year ago. I have a dear friend who has, uh, who's been very helpful for me in my cancer journey. And at one point I was joking about a big monumental birthday I'm having and how could I bring all my favorite things together? And I threw out wanting to go to Greece and I threw out going on a big vacation. And I then threw out, you know, sometimes they have those celebrity tour vacations, like maybe the days of our lives, people be there. And he looks at me and I was like, all right, laugh. You can laugh. This is just ridiculous. And he goes, no, he goes, my best friend from childhood is the head writer. And I'm like, who, what? And I knew the name from the credits who his, his good friend was. And so lucky for me, there was an opportunity for me to meet the, one of the show's biggest stars. 
and the head writer who, by the way, hands down, I love every conversation I've had with him talk about a creative mind. And he's right, brilliant, and obviously so good at what he does, but really enjoyable person to be around. Uh, but but the, the where I'm going with this conversation is I got to meet, I don't know if I would say Marlene, Dr. Marlena Evans is my um, biggest role model by any means, but she's been in some ways a friend of mine since I was 15, even before that. I think I was in the seventh grade, seventh, eighth grade. That's those storylines have been a part of my life. They have gotten me through some ups and downs. Not that I would say, oh, days of our lives saved my hardship, but it definitely gave me a little bit of joy. It gave me distraction. But the, the key to this is in, in this conversation I was having with Deidre, who plays Marlena Evans, I had asked her, I'm like, well, what do you do for fun? Is there anything outside of like, you know, I, I read about you in People Magazine or here, what do you do? And she started painting. And where the story then went without, you know, fully going into that story is she then started painting watercolor cards, which were available for sale. And so my thought process here is how we can start out doing something just because. I like calligraphy. I love the the, the swirly handwriting calligraphy. If I'm going to judge myself because I am, I don't think I'm very good. But if I really enjoy it and I want to spend a lot of time, well, maybe just maybe somewhere down the road, I'll be addressing invitations in my retirement, right? Deidre Evans, who wanted to just paint. She ends up creating these cards that she then can sell or to gift to get where I think is that phase three. It's not, it maybe doesn't, we're not making it big in celebrities and getting all the awards for it. I mean, maybe she will. I, you know, I'm, I'm not counting on it for myself. But there is, to me, for the listeners out there, you can start out at this beginning stage Whatever, going back to your earlier point, 95, you know, back when we were children, our creativity zone was so much more rich than it is now. And going back to some of those interests or hobbies or curiosity, like your brother that would bring him back, that might just stay there in the present, you're enjoying it for the time, or it may grow to be something more. Absolutely. Am I following that, what you're saying? Completely, completely. I feel like um, I have uh, dumped a whole bunch of course notes on you and you've just passed the final exam. I have. Well, that's great. Will you go back and tell Dr. Vogel that I got an A? I got an A. Absolutely. So with all this, we're talking about, we're really making some parallels between creativity and being present and how being present can help with that. Will you tell us a little bit about your, it sounds like you've always been interested to a degree, whether creativity and storytelling, they go hand in hand. But talk to us a little bit about the World Innovation Day and Week and the connection with the United Nations and how I believe that says this is a powerful endeavor for the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. World Create Innovation Week and World Creativity Innovation Day was started in Canada by Marcy Siegel. She had read an article in her local newspaper about a creativity crisis in Canada. And she thought that this was something very important that she could uh, possibly inspire some people to live their lives a little differently and possibly make big changes in the world. And she created a grassroots movement back in 2001, 2002. And she championed it all the way 
to the United Nations, where she got them to pass a resolution uh, in 2017 declaring World Creativity and Innovation Day an International Day of Observation. And this is connected to the United Nations um, SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, to make the world a better place. How can we use creativity to make the world a better place? Well, Marcy decided to hang it up a few years ago. And I said, let me carry on your legacy. Let me continue it. And let me use it to inspire my students and help them inspire the world. And they have now grown World Creativity and Innovation Day and World Creativity and Innovation Week, which is April 15th through 21st, um, to be celebrated by people in 137 countries. That is the, the work of my students. They are the ones who created the website, the video manifesto they produced on there. Um, they're the ones who are creating um, media outreach uh, on four different platforms, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, we are connecting with the world. As a matter of fact, in two hours, I am meeting with my international board of directors, the 14 from each continent. So we will bring Denmark and Costa Rica, India, Indonesia, Tampa, Florida, Nigeria, South Africa, the Netherlands, Canada. They'll all come together in one Zoom room, and we will talk about how we are going to inspire the world one more time. We have more than 400 uh, celebrations already this year, and we're expecting to get well over seven, 800. It is a labor of love. It is a passion for me and my students, but I also believe that the little acts of creativity in every corner of this world are making the world a better place. Thank you for that. I think I'm almost speechless, which is really hard for me to be, but in a place where whether the world is a lot more difficult than it was 30 years ago, I think we all have our own opinions, but I think it really hits me in the heart and hopefully others when there are massive efforts towards making the world a better place. And and I think maybe when I was a kid, that was super overwhelming to me because I felt like I got to go work for the Peace Corps or I need to do X, Y, or Z because that was big and that was magnificent. And I think as I've aged, I've realized that it doesn't have to be that way. It can also be in the day-to-day -day efforts of kindness efforts of collaboration, communication with good intent. And so I, I thank you for, you know, taking over the chariot of moving it forward, of educating our youth, even though I feel like I'm still one of those students, but the, the, the real life version of that is I probably could be their mothers at this point, but in, in taking on such a massive effort and, and having a big smile on your face about it too, like still being so passionate and so excited about it. Now, is there anything else you would like to leave the listeners with before we, um, you know, conclude and talk about gratitude? I don't think so. I, I, I hope that uh, something that we said here inspires um, the people who are listening to live their lives in a more creative way, to silence their voice of judgment, to begin by actually hearing their voice of judgment, because when you actually allow yourself to hear it, 
you're more able to say, hey, that isn't right. Let me push through. Let me try harder. Let me do that again to not fear failure, to build their risk muscles just a little bit in order to take another chance and then have some grace with yourself, not being win-lose, not being succeed, fail, but succeed or learn or win or learn. Everything we have always done in life, we have has has come from our failures. We first time we ever wanted to kick a soccer ball, right? We run up to it, we kick it, it goes about three inches in the wrong direction. But we as little kids say, I want to do that again. As adults, somebody says, why don't you kick that over here? We say, no, I'm not very good at that. We don't even want to try. It's that voice of judgment. But the way we learn to ride a bike, the way we learn to play a musical instrument, the way we did any kind of sport, frankly, the way we learned to walk was failure to failure to failure to failure to finally getting it right. Lean into those failures, lean into those risks, silence that voice of judgment and live your best creative life. Oh, that was so beautifully said. Thank you. And I feel like that should, we should send ourselves off into the sunset in that. And I guess where I come from is, is I'm so grateful. The last nine years of me focusing on wellness and how that I can live, call it live my best life, whether it's living my best creative life or living my best life, I've really focused on lifestyle. And one of those tenets of it is, is mindfulness and one of the practices that I use on an often basis, I don't know if it's so much daily as it used to be, was my son and I would spend some time talking about what we were grateful for and why. We call it the grateful game. There definitely was some competition around it because he was nine at the time. Now, it happens a little less often now because he's a teenager. However, I encourage us all, whether it's at lunch, at dinner, in the car, when you're with loved ones, to especially when life is not going as you want it to go is to think about something that you're grateful for and why because going through the habit of thinking of what you're grateful for really is focusing on the positive and that can help you coming full circle to having a better attitude having a better day is it going to cure my cancer no but is it going to help me get through possibly like you and your father did with the Frosties is like, look at all those people that were grateful and surprised that they got hopefully a chocolate Frosty. You know, it puts a smile on their face. It brings this good energy that can fill you up and, and distract you from some of the, the, the ickiness that might go on. So I want to ask you, can you tell us in the last 24, 48 hours or so, um, share with us something big, little that you were grateful for and why? Oh, wow. That's, that's a lot. I'm grateful for so much. I live such a blessed life. I had a student fail her first project in my class and it crushed her. And she was ready to drop my class and she's never even gotten a C in college before. And she was afraid and I said to her, please don't drop, bet on yourself, believe in yourself. She said, I don't think I can do it. And so she called her parents that night and she told them that she had failed this project because she missed the deadline. She did very well on the project. She just 
miss the deadline. And in my class, when you miss a deadline, it's one of the important things. And her parents said, get over yourself. This is an important lesson. Stay. This guy is working with you. Learn from it. And so that's one of a million things that I am grateful for. That that's was the last. Um, this today, or this afternoon, uh, every Friday, I pick up my grandson. It's our it's our little play date together, and I go get him from daycare, and he just lights up when he sees me. Um, and I haven't seen him in three or four days, but his mother has been sending me videos. He can now stand by himself. He is so ready to take that first step. And I am grateful to be here. I hope it happens today that he begins his first step, even if it's one step and then he falls down. Oh, that is, it's bringing me back in, in different ways, being the, um, you know, the parent now of a 15 year old. So thinking of my child in that age, but also as you're talking, think of my own parents of the joy that just the sheer joy that your grandchildren can bring. So thank you so much that for, for sharing a bit of your heart and sharing your whole. And it's been such a joy for me to reconnect with my past, even though you weren't specifically in my past, but it brings this good energy for me anytime I can talk about Miami University. And I want to thank you so much for having this conversation about creativity with, with the listeners here and with me again. And for those of you that are listening to us right now, I hope that we've been able to just give you some things to think about and how and why that you may want to consider tapping a little bit more into your creativity. Because as I have seen with my, with my life, that through the ups and the downs, having an outlet and a creative outlet can be one of them has been incredibly helpful. So I am sending good vibes out there to all of you. Thanks again for being a part of the show today. Bye for now. One more thing. I would be so grateful if you'd take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sending you lots of happiness and great health.